0: man tried to take his time on earth and proved before he died what one man's life could be worth well, i wonder what would happen to this world oh well i wonder
1: oh yes i wonder oh, what would happen what would happen to this world Good morning and welcome to episode 612 of Effectively Wild, the daily podcast for baseball prospectus presented by the Play Index at baseballreference.com. I'm Ben Lindbergh of Grantland, joined by Sam Miller of Baseball Prospectus. Hello. Hello. How are you? Okay. Good. And today we're taking a brief pause from our team preview podcast series, which will be back tomorrow to do technically an email show. We will answer more than one email, but we also have a guest. He is very familiar to most of you. Russell Carlton, writer for Baseball Prospectus. Hello, Russell. Hi. Wow. <laughs> your your greetings get more eccentric every time we have you on. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta have some calling card. <laughs> well, you wrote an article for just a bit outside the Fox Sports site that, as Sam points out, is a very effectively wild email-esque article So we're going to talk about that, and then we'll do a play index segment, and then we'll answer an actual email so that this is technically an email show, and then we will be out of your ears. So this article is called, What If We Change the Rules? And as you point out, there have been countless articles written about changing the rules recently, but most of them are just proposing that we do something because it's different from what we are doing currently, and therefore, presumably, it will it will correct some something that we want to correct, but no one actually does a study to see whether that's true, whether it actually will fix the problem, or what unintended consequences it might have. So you picked out a few things that people have proposed, and you tried to do some gory math and figure out how big a problem they are and whether these proposals would actually fix those problems. So let's start with the first one, and... This has been, what was this, a Ken Rosenthal proposal? Or recently uh, at Tom least? Tom actually. Tom proposal. Okay, so yeah. uh, proposal one, relievers must face three batters upon entering the game rather than one. So first, tell us what the prevalence of the one batter relief appearance is.
0: Yeah, it's actually, um, it's uh, it happens a little bit more than you, you think. Uh, I, I did one or two batters because that would be, Uh, below that, but it's, it averages out to about one a game. Um, but you know, that's a little deceiving because they're actually clustered in certain types of games because, you know, by the time it's eight, three or, you know, 12, four or something like that, the manager doesn't bother making a, you know, bringing in a guy for one out. He'll know he throws the long guy out there for, you know, as long as he can suck it up. And then when you get to eighth or nine inning, you see who has to pitch. Um, so you, it goes to one, one per game. and a lot of them take place uh, in 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 the middle of an inning. Um, I think I said like 85% of them take place uh, in the middle of an inning, and that's annoying because you know you got to do okay. Guy comes in from the bullpen, jogs in, takes his warm up pitches. You know they play a song. Everybody in the crowd goes oh, and then they start uh, they start actually playing again, and then he leaves and somebody else has to come and do the same thing. Um, so it's you know it's it's the sort of thing where it can there are certain games where it can really lengthen it out um the thing is that those are the games usually that at those times the games you know within three runs and a lot of times with it's within one run so those are the games that are kind of really exciting and you know that's just kind of draws it out a little bit and leaves a shivering with anticipation <laughs> <laughs> i'm surprised neither one of you uh
1: I thought we lost you for a second. No, I, no, I, I, somebody because
0: somebody I, out, there went. Say it. I saw it. <laughs> That's
1: still
2: so good though. You landed.
1: So you, you could say that maybe it's. I mean, I guess it depends on your perception. Maybe it's more annoying in that case because you're so eager to see what happens, yeah. or these are the the games that everyone is tuning in to see what happens, and then it's yeah. like, oh, you got to pause and watch.
2: So, so can we talk about that for a minute? Because I brought this up too in the piece that I wrote for Fox Sports a week ago where I was looking at why baseball is boring. And one of the things that I thought set it apart from other sports is that its commercials all come at the most boring part. It's like the one moment where all the suspense has been uh, dissolved is when they say, and now we're going to go away for three minutes. Go find something else to do. And it's like there is nothing keeping you there at that point. And I wondered whether in the long run that is like a huge knock on baseball or whether it's more annoying – when somebody comes in right when you're at your moment of most excitement and says, uh, and we'll be right back to find out what's, you know, in the briefcase number 13 or whatever. So do you guys think that it's better to have them as cliffhangers, or do you think it's better to have them as as uh, just sort of boring, 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 boring installments?
0: Well, putting on my, my you know, baseball junkie hat. I know that you know for the, when they go to commercial like that or if I'm at the at the stadium, I'm sitting there nibbling on my fingers for 2 minutes, you know, watching a guy do warm up pitches, which is probably a little disordered, but you know, um that's th- there are, there are addictions that we choose. And but I could see, you know, f- and this just kind of gets into the casual fan versus the hardcore fan. And you could you could see somebody who just you know is kind of casually tur- tuning into the game, kind of going, oh, this is just taking too long. I don't care. I'm tu- I'm turning this off. and there's not that steady flow of uh, of information to to think about. And you know, I mean I I love it, but you know, maybe I'm just weird.
1: I don't know. The cliffhanger seems to be a pretty proven form. It's, yeah, it's been exactly. with us for a while.
2: <laughs> yeah. I, um, I agree. I said, in, I said in my piece that if, if they didn't have the cliffhanger in other sports, a screenwriter would have had to invent it for them. Mm-hmm. And nobody, uh, nobody invented it for baseball, I guess, until Tony La Russa and Rick Honeycutt <laughs> got, got together. And I guess that is the baseball version.
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. So, uh, Russell, as you wrote, this might be more complicated to eradicate than just proposing that we do it. it. There would be some complications.
0: Yeah. If you, if you leave if you say that, uh, the guy's got to be in there for three, uh, uh, for three batters, well, you're going to have to have, you know, some sort of allowance for, well, what if he gets hurt? Then, you know, you can't, you can't force him to throw more pitches. I mean, that would be just mean. Um, but then, then I could see, you know, somebody in the back room kind of going, Hmm, you know what? I'm going to send you out there for those two lefties. But, um, when the righty comes up, grab your leg and go. Oh, my leg! Oh, my leg! Oh no! Mm-hmm. And uh, and and you know, f- fake an injury, and then we'll we'll go out there and we'll you know, as mercifully get you out of there, and uh, we'll pull we'll bring in the lefty that we were going to bring in the in the old days anyway. Um, so you know, there's uh, uh, there, there's that uh, that possible complication, and the other one I I thought of was well you'd also have to have something for you know what if the guy get, gets ejected, you know you can't. You can't keep going without a pitcher, and so somebody's going to have to go out there. Well, then you could run into – I could see somebody kind of going, hmm, you know what? I think now is a really good time to uh, to question the umpire's parentage. Ah, I know what I'll do. I'm going to go and I'm going to yell at him and you know, question the balls and strikes and use all kinds of uh, suspect adjectives, shall we say? <laughs> and, and, uh, and we'll see if I can get thrown out of the game, and that way they can bring in the real relief pitcher that they want in. Um, or, you know, you could just get a lot more intentional walks, uh, which, you know, everybody loves a good intentional walk, so, um, you know, you could, th- there's, there there will be workarounds, and some of them are more likely than others, but um, you're probably just kind of looking at uh, uh, a few more intentional walks would be the, uh, um, the actual counter move.
2: And I, this brings up an interesting point, because all of these are phrased as potential solutions for mm-hmm. the decline in offense, which is apparently the... Reason baseball is boring, although uh, in my estimation, as people who read me a week ago might know, uh, it is not. But regardless, Plug away, Sam. Plug away. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, but all of these things, like, for instance, requiring pitchers to face three batters or stay in for a full inning, which is the next section that Ben was going to do, although I don't think he will now because you actually skipped ahead and covered that part too. Um, uh, those are both things that would... Uh, increase offense but increasing offense also makes games longer so if the pitcher is giving up more hits and uh you know working around batters cautiously because he's being forced to face a right-handed batter or issuing an intentional walk which is the most boring time-consuming part of baseball those would be things that would add time as well i mean i'm sure there there would probably be a net gain of a minute or two or three whatever but uh all the same it's not um It's not quite like you're just chopping those minutes off. You're you're adding a few back. Yeah, you
0: probably are. I mean, there's, but you know, from the from baseball's perspective, you know, I I could see that they're sitting there thinking, well, you know, we've somehow gotten the best or the uh, the worst of both worlds. We have longer games and uh, a decline in offense. You know, how did excuse me? How did that happen? And you know, I think that what they want is something that even if it's a three hour game or a three Oh five game or three hundred ten or something like that, you know, if it's action packed and everybody loves, you know, is on the edge of their seats for those uh, three hours, well, then you've got a good product and then people are a little more forgiving. Um, you know, you go back to, um, the, the late nineties when, you know, it was, it was silly ball time. Um, you had actually games that were, Uh, that were clocking in, you know, 15 minutes, 20 minutes shorter on average than they were now. And of course, runs were all over the place. And it was, uh, you know, teams were scoring, you know, roughly a run more per game uh, than they are now. Um, So, you know, it's, uh, it's strange, because we kind of have proof of concept that you can have um, a really um, high scoring environment, and yet a a game that doesn't take forever and ever and ever uh, to play. So um, I think that I'm guessing that somebody out there is kind of going, well, how can we get some of that magic back? And uh, and I think uh, you know I think a lot of these uh, these proposals are an attempt to try and get that back. Um, even as you know, late as um, 2009, um, we've actually added about 15 minutes worth of game time on average since then. Um, this is kind of a recent problem that seems to have popped up.
2: I don't, I haven't researched this. I'm just talking now in reaction to what you just said. But, uh, since 2009 is kind of, uh, coincides with when the ball quit flying all over the place and going out of the park. And, um, if, uh, although I guess there's still a lot of home runs, but, uh, offense is down, right? And you could sort of maybe imagine that in a world where um, you know, BABIP went up 15 points and home runs went out, say, 5% more often, there'd be more incentive to swing earlier in counts instead of trying to draw walks and work to count. Um, and so that you could see how there is not necessarily an inverse relationship between offense and time, uh, right? If the incentives uh, are that batters would swing earlier in counts, that might lead to more offense but also lead to shorter games.
1: Could be.
0: a Perfectly reasonable theory in that uh... Boy, let me get my let me get my calculator out. Hang on a
1: second here. This <laughs> so is supposed to be the night that you're not writing an article. You're That's true. Hang up That's on us true. and go write an article right now. <laughs> <laughs> okay, proposal one we covered relievers must face three batters upon entering the game. Kinda conflated that with proposal two, which is limiting the number or eliminating the number of mid inning pitching changes. Proposal three is the pitch clock. So mm. what research did you do related to the pitch clock?
0: Well, I didn't, I did a little bit of research and I, I found the, and this is where the time of game stuff comes in. And I, um, there's in pitch FX, you can get the, you can get a, a timestamp for each pitch and it's easy to just kind of go, okay, it took, um, you know, 22 seconds between those pitches. And, but the problem is we only have pitch, uh, pitch FX back to 2007, 2008. Um, and so I, I said, okay, well, we have at least pitch counts back to 1988 and I, I only I use 93 as my, uh, my baseline, and we have just length of game. So I said, okay, this is a little crude, but I'll uh, at least shows the historical trend line. And I found that you know in, uh, uh, for a number of years, it was kind of 38, 37 p- uh, seconds per pitch, and then around uh, 2001, it dipped into the, the mid-00s down to about 36 seconds per pitch um, and then, again, in the last uh, five years, it's gone all the way up to almost 40 seconds uh, per pitch um, over the course of uh, just, just those five years. So, you know, you kind of sit there and wonder, well, well what happened? Um, and I think that it, it's weird because, you know, 2009 wasn't all that long ago. Um, and, you know, a lot of the pitchers that are still in the, that are, were there in the game are still there. Um, you know, it's not a completely new set of people. Um, but I think the pitch clock is, you know, an attempt to try and get it at least back down to that, uh, uh, to even that sweet 2009 uh, level. Um, so that was, the, that was the research that I did on that. Um, you have, you know, if you set the clock at about 20 seconds, there's really only about 16 pitchers that actually um, have an average uh, time between pitches that's, uh, that's less than that right now. So it's just basically everybody's going to have to speed up. And you know, there's guys who are you know 30 second guys as well. So, um, so I mean, there there's that, and you know, other than just kind of ipso facto that guys are just going to have to throw faster, um, that's that would probably shorten the game. The question is, you know, what are the what are the counter moves? What are the unintended consequences that go with that?
1: Do we know when the pitch clock starts exactly? When they start the clock?
0: You know, I don't know. I, I know they did it out in the Arizona Fall League and they're actually going to do it at double and triple A this year. And mm-hmm. I don't know when exactly, um, you know, kind of when that, that clock starts. Is it when it, you know, the ball, I think it's when the ball hits the pitcher's glove, but
1: it's, um, it, yeah, I don't, right. In the, in the, the rule book, the rule that has been on the books, it's kind of complicated. About, right. right. When I wrote about it last year and I looked at average time between pitches and, everyone had these long time between pitches and it seemed like, wow, everyone is breaking this rule. But then when I actually went and watched video by the letter of the law, most of them were not really breaking it because it didn't start until like the batter is in the box and is ready to receive the pitch is something like that is what the language in the rule book says, which that, you know, if you actually observe that strict formulation of the law, then most pitchers are not taking 20 seconds beyond that point.
0: Yeah. And I think some of the The other thing that they did in the Arizona Fall League was, um, in addition to yelling to the pitchers, hey, let's get going, it was telling the batters, hey, stop, you know, stepping out, adjusting Mm -hmm. your batting glove, your helmet, you know, everything else that's going on. Um, Keep one foot in the box and let's just – let's keep moving. And, you know, I I know that pitchers got a ball called on them if they went over the pitch clock, but I wonder if there would be a, you know, a complimentary called strike um, that would, uh, that would go along with that to kind of balance it out. Mm-hmm.
2: Russell, if there was just every 45 seconds, a random ball or strike was called <laughs> and you don't know if it's a ball or a strike, how would that affect baseball?
0: <laughs> oh, this is an email show, isn't it? It's mm-hmm. just, you know, somebody pulled a number out of a hat or something like that. And, you know you can you can uh, you can throw the pitch or you can take what's behind door number two right. um, <laughs> it, would, it would make for some interesting ratings um,
1: I, yeah, it's the Monty Hall problem it's I, like you you can choose the ball that you have or you can go for open the door and see if there's a strike there or
0: you can take the physical challenge <laughs>
1: right. the aggro crack
0: um, oh boy I, like half the people listening to that went what? <laughs> But um, look it up, folks. Um, yeah, I don't. I don't know. That'd be that'd be kind of fun. Um, <laughs> so, I don't know what to tell you, Sam.
1: <laughs> There's I, no answer. I could no.
0: make something
2: up. <laughs> I think I'll just go write a poem about Adrian
1: Beltre. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, so final proposal: yeah. the DH in oh, the. National no! 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 Don't say that! Don't say that! Don't say that! <laughs> Shh! Shh! <laughs> Everybody I said will it. yell at you. Mm, I said it. I'm just quoting you. Oh,
0: yeah, the DH in the National League. Yeah. Um, yeah, for that one, I, I looked and said, well, um, I think everybody kind of assumes that, you know, American League games have, you know, some fraction of a run more per game than um, than do National League games. So if you wanted to, uh, to, to put the DH in the NL, well, then, you know, the NL would just kind of boost itself up to join the American league and, and overall offense would go up and, um and the numbers would look a little bit better. But, you know, the thing there is that you have to realize that the guys who would then become, you know, the Cardinals DH or the Giants DH or the Dodgers DH would be um, guys who are already in the league right now because they would be the, you know, kind of Evan Gaddis got a lot of play for this one. Um, you know, he was kind of a, we know he can hit, but he's kind of sort of without a position and, Um, and then Houston got him and, you know, are they going to DH him? Are they going to try him in left field? But, you know, that's the kind of guy where, um, he, he's probably being hidden in the field right now at first base or left field. And so really what you're going to get is that the, the new people who are going to come in are the fourth outfielders that are, um, that are then, you know, put into left field because the left fielder is now the DH, um, you know the utility infielder because the third baseman is now going to be DHing, or you know you can have some sort of platoon, or um, and and so you're you're really replacing instead of replacing um, pitchers with you know these big monster hitting DHs. What you're really doing is you're um, you're putting more utility infielders into the game um, on a on a consistent basis. Uh, you, you probably over time you know you can have now that you would have thirty DH spots, you would see teams more willing to take a flyer on, you know, the guy with the big bat and no glove. Um, because, you know, even if they can't develop him or they don't have a spot for him, there's twenty nine other teams instead of fourteen other teams that, that could use him. So you might see more bat first guys come into the league. And uh, you know, over time you would get more offense that way. Um, you know, some of these uh some of these knock on effects are, are hard to predict, but, you know, I tried to Figure out, you know, what would be the, the the logical conclusion five years out, and what what would the you know what would be the pressures on the game to adapt to. So, mm-hmm. um, so I think that, you know, in the short term, yeah, you'd see some some bump up, but it wouldn't be instant, and it wouldn't be as much as people thought, and it might take a few years to fully resolve itself uh, um, to get back up to where people are hoping it would put it.
2: I wonder if you'd also see more defense first, base, uh, defense first, first baseman.
0: Uh, you probably would. Yeah. I mean, and because I, a lot I, of those guys are being hit at first base right now.
2: Yeah. And I also wonder whether, uh, I don't know if this came up in your research into the, uh, um, one out relievers, but it seems like you would see more mid inning switches in the American league, uh, because in the national league, they're trying to get to the pitcher spot before they replace a pitcher, you know? Mm-hmm. And so it would seem like you would have more, uh, I guess you would call them um, quick pitcher changes because you don't see the effect of them. You don't have to stop an inning to bring a pitcher in. And so if you had a DH, you might see more mid inning pitching changes, which might make games longer.
0: Oh, boy, now You'll you want are, that.
2: You, you are now a baseball ninja. Samuel
0: <laughs> Anything
2: you have, I do makes games longer. That's that's my <laughs> that's my spiritual gift. I make baseball longer. Well that's you know, for those of us who
0: like spending four hours at the ballpark, I, I, we salute you, but um, you know, I mean I'm I'm not everybody, so
1: <laughs> all right. Well I will link to this article in the Facebook group and in the blog post at BP if you want to go read it or look at the graphs. There are three graphs. Graphs are pretty. Uh, Okay, so Russell's going to stick around for a Play Index segment. Let's hear it.
2: All right, so uh, this Play Index segment was inspired by Mikey Pulley, who who mentioned something in the Facebook group uh, that somehow came to my attention. I won't say how. (laughs) Uh, Mikey Pulley wrote something fun I discovered while working on the Rockies preview uh, for B... Banished to the pen. Banish to the pen. Uh, DJ LeMayhew has accumulated exactly 0.0 offensive war, by baseball reference's measure, over nearly 1,300 plate appearances in his career, uh, which seemed interesting and created a conversation. So then I wondered, is this unusual? Is there a better example of replacement level? And of course, Russell and Ben and I all know that uh, Willie Bloomquist is the definition of replacement level. We will not top Willie Bloomquist, although Willie Bloomquist does not actually appear in this play index segment. Uh, But I wondered whether there was somebody else who could stand in for a replacement level. That was question number one. Question number two is, is DJ LeMayhew notable? So I did a play index search, starting with the first five years of a player's career to see um, who was at zero war through five years of their career, and then so on. And I, uh, because of rounding, uh, and because of the way play index works, uh, anything from one. 0.1% 2.1 2.1 is going to count as zero for our purposes. You all will agree that there is no difference between negative 0.1, 0.1 and zero. We're going to count all of them as zero. So five years, five years into your career, players who were at zero include such notable baseball stars as Aramis Ramirez and Brandon Phillips and Willie Mopena, who's not really a star, but it's <laughs> also a name, and uh, Andy LaRoche and Eliezer Alfonso, and a whole bunch of other guys, lots of guys through year five. The captain of this team is a fella named Johnny Rucker, who through five years had 2,500 plate appearances, double what DJ LeMayhood had, and was at exactly replacement level. Through six years, we have Jose Bautista at exactly replacement level. Wow. We have, we have Andy LaRoche again. <laughs> we have Eliezer <laughs> Alfonso again. Jesus Alou. And uh, the champion is Alex Gonzalez. One of them. Don't know which one. (laughs) Which one? (laughs) Not sure. This might be a cumulative thing. (laughs) 2,400 plate appearances. And you've already noticed that I dropped from 2,500 to 2,400. This is an interesting thing because um, it's not a straight line upward for how many plate appearances you have. Um, It's a hard number to land on. So uh, Alex Gonzalez has actually fewer than Johnny Rucker had through five. All right. Through seven years. Uh, The champion is Johnny Berardino at 2,800 plate appearances. We have A.J. Hinch again. We have Andy LaRoche again, actually. Three years he managed to stay at exactly replacement level. Eight years, Max Venable is on here. Henry Blanco is on here. But our champion is Alfredo Griffin, 3001. I'm going to call Alfredo Griffin our leader in the clubhouse for most replacement level player. He will not stay the leader in the clubhouse through nine years. We have Damon Berryhill at replacement level, Paul Bacco at replacement level. But crushing, crushing Alfredo Griffin at 4,514 plate appearances, Nafi Perez. He made it nine years into his career, almost 5,000 plate appearances, and still replacement level. Leader in the clubhouse, and I think at the end of this, uh, he is one of the names that we will agree has a claim on the throne. Ten years. Darnell Coles, everybody remembers Darnell Coles. Ramon Martinez, the non-pitching one. And Desi Relaford at 3,300 plate appearances is the champ. 11 years, Wes Helms. Henry Blanco again. We said him earlier. He's back. He left. (laughs) He came back. (laughs) And uh, the champion is Jerry Royster at 3,564 plate appearances. 12 years, oddly enough, nobody. You have to go all the way down. To a pitcher, there is no position player who made it exactly 12 years into his career at replacement level. If you go all the way down to Allie Reynolds at 900 plate appearances, he's the champ. Uh, 13 years, Gerald Perry uh, found replacement level at 3,500 plate appearances. 14 years, a fellow named Zach Taylor, who was a 1920s catcher. And I'm going to send his baseball reference page to both of you, and I think you will agree he has the most replacement level face okay this is great radio here yeah yeah (laughs) all right 15 years 15 years back with zach zach taylor again set got seven plate appearances in his 15th season stayed at replacement level 3040 16 years it's henry blanco he did it again he found replacement (laughs) level 16 years 3087 plate appearances henry blanco and 17 years Raphael Belliard with 2,500 plate appearances is at exactly replacement level. So nobody with 18 years or more managed to be replacement level. There are four names here that I think we can call contenders to this throne. Raphael Belliard is the last player standing. He's the only one who made it 17 years or more at exactly replacement level. Henry Blanco is the most frequent person, and he made it 16 years and more plate appearances than Belliard before he was kicked out of the sport. He's got a chance to be it. Gerald Perry, at 13 years, 3,527 plate appearances, is the most plate appearances in a career. He retired after year 13. And so if you simply look for career totals at replacement level, he has the most playing time for a replacement level player. And Nafi Perez, maxed out at 4,514. He is the only person to clear 4,000 plate appearances at in his career at some point and still be replacement level on the dot. Who are we going with here? We got Nafy, Gerald Perry, Henry Blanco, Raphael Belliard. Who you guys got?
1: I like Nafy, and Nafy reminds me of an article that King Kaufman wrote in 2010 for Salon. He called him, Nafy Perez, bad baseball Hall of Famer. And Mm -hmm. I will just quote from the end of that piece. Most of those who remember Nafy Perez at all will remember him as the first major leaguer to be hit with an 80-game punishment for drugs. Little did he know that Nafy Perez would come up in an entirely different context on this podcast. For me, his legacy will be his lousiness, the infuriating sight of his name on the home team's lineup card day after day, the greatness required to induce so much rage in so many fans of so many teams. I'll never forget Nafi Perez. He was the greatest lousy player I've ever seen.
2: Russell, who
0: you got? Well, I think I'm going to go with the lesson that's that's embedded in there is that you remember you see how many catchers you uh, you mentioned there a lot of
2: catchers boys and girls if you
0: want to if you want to have a long major league career put on a chest protector right now
1: <laughs> the problem is that probably if we looked at those same catchers who were terrible at offense and we looked at great their numbers framers. in the new csaa stat That's that came true. out of pp last yeah. week they are probably all great framers and now they're yeah. not replacement level anymore I can't
2: wait to get Zach Taylor's framing data. <laughs> uh, yeah, there are a lot of catchers. And I would actually, I think that simply being a catcher, like simply eating innings as a pitcher, is its own skill that doesn't get, um, uh, that, do, that isn't yet, that isn't fully wrapped into these players. Like I think GMs would generally say that uh, an inning eaten or a game caught is more valuable than war gives credit to. And so I'm going to personally, exclude all catchers. I don't think catchers should be in this. I don't think that Nafy counts because there is no way Nafy Perez was replacement level. He was way
1: worse. And
2: <laughs> so I'm going with Raphael Belliard. To me Belliard's the champ.
1: Okay. By the way we established how to deal with the Alex Gonzalez's in I believe episode five hundred, right? One of them has accent marks and the other has no accent marks. The one who played in 2014, the younger Alex Gonzalez, is from Venezuela, so he has accent marks. The older Alex Gonzalez, who hasn't played for a few years now, or since 2006, no accent marks, born in Miami. So that's the key to distinguishing between Alex Gonzalez's.
0: I just remember in 2003 when I was in Chicago and I was watching the the O3 NLCS and it was the Cubs and the Marlins and it was awful because the Cubs and the Marlins both employed Alex Gonzalez at shortstop and so I for the life of me I you know I'd be listening to the game and oh Alex Gonzalez is up well who's who, who's batting <laughs>
2: you guys mind, I know this is super repetitive. I mentioned this in episode 500. I think it was one of my three things I loved about baseball, but I love it so much I'm going to say it again. One of the three things that I said I love about baseball is that Alex Gonzalez is a baseball reference comp for Alex Gonzalez, but the other Alex (laughs) Gonzalez is not a comp for the other one.
1: (laughs) Uh, That's a good thing. All right. Well, just so that this technically will be an email show, I have a couple quick ones. So this one kind of has a psychological aspect. Maybe Russell can answer it. It's from Patrick Dubuque, who wrote some really good player comments in the VP Annual this year. He said, uh, today a certain Sam Miller gave a series of hot takes on Twitter regarding pedestrian safety and petty crime. I cannot disagree with these assertions. What were your assertions? That, that having a light uh, or having light a countdown... It.
2: No, 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 no. That if you are a sober adult with even a minimum amount of patience, jaywalking is almost always safer than crossing at a crosswalk or intersection.
1: Mm, Okay. So Patrick says he can't disagree with this. However, it made him curious. Is there a possibility that a pitch clock would create a similar twinge of anxiety in the pitcher? And would this lead to an increase in mistake pitches? If so, what would you estimate would be the effect on offense league-wide? Would it be perceptible?
0: You know, actually funny enough, this is something that kind of got left on the cutting room floor from my piece for, for Jabbo. So it's uh, yeah,
1: director's it's, cut. it's
0: topical. Yeah. Um, I was going to write about it and then I just kind of ran out of time. But um, there's actually a, a, a principle in, in psychology called loss aversion, which many of you, many people are going to be familiar with. Um, and, you know, the idea is that if you go past the, you know, the 22nd clock or whatever it is, um, that you get a ball called against you. And, you know, you, you don't, you don't want to, uh, in, incur that punishment. So even though, you know, you might not be ready and even though it might be, you know, foolish to throw the ball, uh, when you're, when you're just not quite set, uh, for that. And, you know, you run the risk of, you know, leaving a hanging slider right in the middle of the plate that somebody's going to deposit in the left field seats, um, which compared to a ball, you know, suddenly the ball doesn't look so bad. Um, but that, that, uh, that, that kind of countdown aspect does really crazy things to people. Um, you know, you think about it, the, the best thing that, uh, the best comp I can come up with is you ever have a coupon for something or, you know, <laughs> a free something or other that had an expiration date on it. And you uh-huh. didn't actually want the thing, but you're like, yeah, but if I don't use this, mm-hmm. I won't be able to use it, you know, ever. And, you know, so suddenly you find yourself, you know, getting a smoothie that you didn't want. Um, because, you know, because you had a coupon and 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 you're, then you're sitting there and, you know, three sips in, you're like, why am I drinking this? I don't want this smoothie. I never wanted the smoothie, but I saved two dollars.
2: So so I want to know how often do you think a pitcher on O2 would just decide, ah, screw it and, and take the ball and do as gamesmanship or something, uh, really take their time, freeze the batter, stare in there, be intimidating uh, and do all that. Would it happen more than, would it happen more than once in a year? Would it happen more than a hundred times in a year?
0: I think you'd probably get, especially on O2, because, you know, the pitcher has some, I mean, you know, half the time he's going to throw a ball away to try and get the guy to chase and, you know, try and make a perfect pitch because he has one to waste. And, you know, you can, You can do stuff like that on on o2 i think you would actually get i don't know that would happen on every o2 count but you would get some cases where a guy said you know what i just needed to take that extra moment to make my pitch and i knew i was spotting him a ball but who cares now it's one two and uh, i think that there would be a certain amount of um there would be a certain amount of gamesmanship that goes into that and um you know maybe Maybe guys are trying to do the I'm going to freeze you or anything like that. I don't think that would actually work, but um, I'm sure there would be people, people who who thought who would think it would work. Um, so I I could actually see that being a thing.
2: Uh, do you guys know uh, what, uh, uh, what this would mean for batters stepping out, calling time?
0: I think that they're trying to clamp down on that
2: too. But if a pitcher uh, – let's say the clock is – is going down, is the batter allowed to step out? And then let's say the pitcher took the ball and just decided that he was going to just stand there staring at the guy for 40 seconds and take two clocks worth of time. Is the batter allowed to step out? Boy, I don't know. All right, And furthermore...
1: Since <laughs> uh, we've answered that question.
2: Furthermore, just curious, Russell, uh, let's say... Ben 2. Oh, thanks. Let's <laughs> say the clock is going down and you've really got a rush to get your pitch down. What do you think is the strategically soundest thing to do with that ball?
1: <laughs> you throw it, uh, <laughs> throw it off the sidelines. So the play is ball? dead. <laughs> you throw it into the oh. stands.
2: Uh-huh. Yeah, that, spike it. <laughs> yeah.
0: Uh, Actually, I spiking think, it probably. Uh, uh, you might see some pitchers do that. You know, that's well, that just um, be a
2: ball, right? Well, it'd be, be a balk, but. Um, but uh do you think that throwing I, a pitch, you know actually anyway, I, do you think it's worth risking throwing a any sort of pitch in that situation if you're truly rush is it worth throwing any sort of pitch
0: i would you know i would go on the even even on a 3 ball count i would have to say there's a pretty big temptation right there to say you know what a walk is better than a home or, than a home run and and there's probably you know some if if you're not getting set good you know one one thing is that it might just you know flood the ball might fly all over the place in which case it's a ball maybe a wild pitch and that's its own uh problem or you might hang it or you might just not execute the pitch properly you know i wonder how many how many pitches that you know a, a pitcher either because he's rushed or just because he didn't you know hit his mechanics or anything like that still managed to go up still managed to make it to the plate as strikes or you know something that that uh uh, that fools the batter. Um, that'd be a fun, a fun study to, you know, get some actual real live pitchers and, and, uh, um, just ask them to estimate that, um, and and to get, you know, at least some parameter around that. And then you could, you could actually kind of take that and do some back of the envelope math to see, would it be better to just, you know, take a, take a bite out of the ball or would it be better to rush the pitch? Hmm.
1: Okay, I've got one last question here that is also sort of relevant to Russell's interests and work. It's from Eric in San Francisco. He says, last week's discussion of Corey Kluber got me wondering, do you have any ideas on how to distinguish a breakout season from a career year, specifically for players that have already had a few underwhelming major league seasons? Are there any indicators that you would use to posit that a great year was the first of many, or instead, that it was a peak performance. Obviously, you can take age into account, but then there are weird ones like Chris Davis collapsing or Marlon Bird having what appears to be an actual breakout of sorts at age 35. I'm thinking specifically of Lucas Duda as a test case. If you had to bet on either greater than or equal to 2014 performance or regression, what would you use to make that call? Can I Just, answer
2: before Russell? Because Russell's sure. going to have the right answer. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Uh, I, would say, I would say that uh, my, my own personal instinct is, uh, for hitters, I believe power is the hardest thing to fake. And so if you have an insane extra base hit uh, rate, that would be much more convincing to me. Uh, for pitchers, velocity is the hardest thing to fake. So if you had a velocity bump, that would be the hardest thing for me to disregard. Either one, if they are a former top prospect, uh, and really I would go like any time in the previous like nine years, I would consider that relevant. That would be harder for me to disregard. Uh, the uh, notably, though, the problem with the pitcher's velocity thing is that uh, that means he's probably going to have Tommy John
1: any second.
0: <laughs> Yikes! Um, yeah, I, you, this you know this is a question I get a lot, and th- the answer I always give is if if I had the answer to that one, do you think I'd be slumming it at Baseball Prospectus? <laughs> um, I, I I will tell you this: there are there are entire research departments, uh, with teams that are dedicated to answering this very question. Um, you know, you bring up the, the examples of Kluber or Duda and, you know, they had their, their, their moment, their shining moments in the sun, uh, last year. And, you know, is that, is that real or was that just an insane amount of luck? And the, the variables that distinguish that, um, they're very hard to come by. And, you know, that, that is kind of, that is one of like the questions um, that I think that uh, anybody who, who does this either uh, as an amateur or as a professional um, has worked on at one point or another. Um, and, you know, the fact that the people who have access to that information, i.e. the teams that have more information that have hired um, these, these wonderful analysts that have, uh, have done all that stuff. The fact that they get it wrong a lot of the time, Um, tells you about how hard that question is to really crack. Um, you know, personally me, if I'm looking at a guy, you know, there's the obvious luck indicators, there's BABIP, there's, uh, um, for pitchers, you know, home runs per fly ball will regress heavily to the mean. Um, and you know, you can kind of look at some of the, uh, some of them are process outcome. If you get to see a CS, you know a strikeout or a walk bump, you see a, a change in batted ball stuff. You you can at least have some something intelligent to say um, that you know the, the the building blocks of what built this uh, this season are either fundamentally the same as they were in the past, and it was just you know insane luck, or um, or they were radically different and then you start looking for you know what was going on different but you can very easily overfit and say oh well you know he was doing this he was throwing a slider more that uh, last year and so that's what's different and that's what caused it and that might be you know completely bogus um the the sensitivity on those types of analyses are just awful right now and you know our frankly it keeps the game kind of fun cuz you know, if, if somebody had the answer to that one, I, I assure you they would be a very, very rich person.
2: Yeah. Or they would be making like $36,000 as an intern in some teams. <laughs> I mean they, they would still be wins. happy, but, uh, <laughs> but let's be honest. They would be making $36,000 as an intern in the stats department. Yeah, but if a win's worth $5 million,
0: <laughs> Sam <laughs>
1: – um, <laughs> <laughs> You can also check out some of the stuff Rob Arthur has been working on with the the pitcher approach to a hitter as an indicator of whether other players believe that the breakout is real or not, which could potentially tell you something about whether it actually is. but but yeah, the short answer is we don't have a great answer for this. So that's it for today. Please remember to send us some emails for next week at podcast at baseballprospectus.com. Thank you for joining us, as always, Russell. Oh, thanks. And Zachary Levine,
0: I'm coming for your mark. I'm, I've gotten like <laughs> two or three behind you now.
1: So, <laughs> And for people who don't know and don't follow Russell on Twitter, you should do that. A lot of people ask us how to catch up on baseball research, or maybe they're just getting into sabermetrics and they want to know what they should read. And Russell kind of curates the internet for everyone. He will scour all of the sabermetric sites every day and order everyone who follows him to read the standout pieces. So if you don't have time to go to every site or set up RSS feeds for everything, just follow Russell at PizzaCutter4 and you will have a good reading recommendation list. So we will be back tomorrow with another Team Preview podcast. Please join our Facebook group. Russell Carlton is a member of the Facebook group, if that's not enough incentive for you, at facebook.com slash groups slash effectively wild. Rate, review, subscribe to the show on iTunes, and support our sponsor, the Play Index. Use the coupon code BP to get the discounted price of $30 on a one-year subscription. We'll be back tomorrow. I was impressed by how much research you did quickly for the Shields one.
2: Well, he had, uh, he had like a five-day head start. We we oh, have that
1: oh, Yeah, that's true.
0: Although I, I will say I actually did most of that research day of.
1: You're not supposed to tell your editor that <laughs> <laughs> I,
0: I actually have my daughter write all my stuff. I just stick <laughs> my name on it.
2: I don't I don't like having guests all that much, but I do like Thanks. having no, I, <laughs>